Hello, and welcome to Gender Troubles. We are Eva and Emma. We studied women's studies, so you don't have to. Um, yeah. Uh, who are we? Eva, who are you? Um, I am a Concordia graduate, like you, and I'm currently uh, residing in Abenaki land uh, in so-called Burlington, Vermont. Um, I got a women's studies degree that I am not using at the moment. Um, <laughs> yes, you are. You're making this podcast. <laughs> that is true. That is true. This is why I'm making the podcast. Um, because as a nanny, there are only so many feminist lessons I can teach to seven-year-olds. Um, we don't get past the kind of the, the liberal feminism because mm -hmm. um, I haven't brought in post-colonial theory yet because I think they're a little bit too young. Maybe next year. Yeah. Yeah. Who are you? Uh, I am Emma. I live in Montreal. I am also a former Concordia student, graduate of the Simone de Beauvoir Institute, like you. Um, and we are starting a podcast called Gender Troubles. Our hope is to sort of debunk and demystify feminism uh, through tackling different feminist subjects and movements and historical figures. Yeah, and I think a big issue within kind of feminist academia and academia in general is the lack of accessibility. Mm -hmm. um, and just to be able to kind of translate roughly four years of school into, you know, 40 minute episodes, um, I'd like to think is, is, is an example of trying to make stuff accessible. For sure. Um, that being said, um, you know, we are both white women. Um, so our feminism that we tell is inherently going to be through kind of a white gaze as much as I know I'm trying to personally unlearn that. Um, yeah. And we're not professors. Um, think of it more as uh, you meet someone at a party and they start talking to you about this one weird part of feminist history and then you can't leave or you, exactly. can, you can turn the podcast yeah I like to think of it as like uh sort of what to put keep in your bag for when like a man at a bar starts arguing with you about like a, some feminist co concept you can be like hey mm -hmm. I learned about that on that podcast and I can engage in this argument or you can just walk away from that man because that's that's, that's totally that's legit. I mean, bars are opening up again, so yeah, they're, they're back <laughs> out. Be more of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, definitely, this uh, might not be for everyone. As Eva mentioned, mm -hmm. we are like two white middle class ladies that, uh, you know, our experience will definitely reflect that. So there's a lot of that in feminism. So we totally understand yeah. that this isn't for you. Yeah. Um, what does feminism mean to you, Eva? Oh God. When I was younger, like a little angry feminist in middle school, I definitely just saw it through the lens of like equality, gender equality. Mm -hmm. And as someone who was like a little tomboy, I felt like I'm just going to pretend to be a, a boy kind of, and then I will be treated better. Um, and then in, in middle school, that kind of translated to I am going to just do whatever I want. And because I'm a woman or a girl, I'm going to claim it's feminist, um, <laughs> which had mixed results. I definitely think now when I think about feminism and kind of what it means to me, it's really about kind of like liberation um, 
from you know the structure of patriarchy but also just from all of these kind of combined forces Mm -hmm. of um you know racism classism colonialism ableism sexism obviously um and it's no longer really centered around me (laughs) which is what my feminism definitely used to be was just I saw the world of feminism as this should be the way I can deal with and respond to the oppressions that I experience and as I came to learn once I talked to other people um, especially you know disabled people people of color etc is just feminism expands so much more than beyond my own self-interest um which is why I decided to go to school for it Mm -hmm. what does feminism mean to you yeah I think I'm very much I mean obviously we went to school together so I feel like and we're friends so (laughs) we probably share some some similar kind of ideas um on this but yeah I think I definitely used to think of feminism as just like women's struggle Mm -hmm. and now I just I see it as like a really effective tool in like pointing out places of like unequal power and privilege and oppression and like looking at those structures and sort of dissecting them and speaking to power um and not just yeah like limiting that to the power of like men over women but yeah looking Mm -hmm. at like um structures of like racism or like class struggle um or like ableism and how all of these things intersect and are intertwined. Yeah, definitely. Um, when I when I was in like my first gender studies class, we all went around and like said our name and our pronouns and kind of like why we were drawn to this major. And there was this one person who I remember was explained kind of, they were like one of the last people to speak and they're like, I'm blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, these are my pronouns. I am a intersectional transnational feminist who, you know, has an environment, like all of these kind of extra words. And yeah. that was the first time I was like, oh, there's more than just one kind of feminism. <laughs> Wait, what kind am I? <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling like I should, I should have, I should have said that I was specifically, you know, an intersectional feminist because what if they didn't know? Um, yeah. And, I thought you were a liberal feminist. Oh my gosh, <laughs> which brings us <laughs> to today's topic, if you want to. Yeah, so we're going to talk about liberal feminism. Um, this is sort of like, I feel like this is where a lot of, if you were going to go to university for women's studies, you would definitely talk a lot about this. This is sort of like where a lot of academic feminists see feminism beginning. Mm-hmm. So I guess first to speak about liberal feminism we should talk about uh the root word liberal and the etymology of that so it uh liberal comes from the latin liberalis uh which means free free man or free from restraint so to discuss liberalism i guess more generally first I mean, liberal ideas have been around since like ancient Greece and we don't have time to talk about the whole history because that would be a different podcast. Um, But (laughs) I'm gonna give you like a little condensed version of the history of liberalism. So liberalism as we know it today is a political or moral philosophy that espouses values like liberty and equality and it prioritizes institutions such as the free market and the rule of law. 
liberalism as a philosophy really proliferated in the 17th century in France um, in post-French Revolution era and spread across Europe. Um, this was essentially because the abolition of feudalism was seen as a marker of the success of liberalism. It was a move away from the inequality and oppression of feudalism and saw the development of free markets and a justice system uh, separate from the church. Um, it saw democracy and capitalism proliferate and the value of individual freedom. Um, so obviously compared to feudalism, a liberal state looked really great, um, mm -hmm. especially this whole idea of like individual freedom. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, these values, liberal liberty and freedom and capitalism are what a bunch of people founded the United States and Canada as states on and they all enslaved people. So, you know, it was like individual freedom for certain people. Was, mm -hmm. the, was the value it was individual freedom for the white middle class man yeah so i guess yeah what is liberal feminism i guess first it's just important i guess to acknowledge that this is like a very eurocentric history which is often what we're talking about in yeah in a sort of academic feminism is we're really looking at like certain history books and a certain perspective that is very rooted in western europe and north america we're not looking mm -hmm. at you know chicana feminism um and like the history of that uh we're lo really looking at like what is considered the first wave of feminism within like a i guess like academic north american standard mm -hmm. um do you want to speak about waves for a second and kind yeah. of how they are used in feminist academia discourse yeah, so I mean, in academic discourse, we typically divide the feminist movements into three waves, and liberal feminism is very much part of the first wave. So mm -hmm. this is like uh, loosely believed to be between like the mid 19th and early 20th century, and it's typically marked by like movements such as suffrage, so the right to vote or the right to education, um, and it was really about like equality between men and women. Mm -hmm yeah there's a lot of discussion around like different waves of feminists not kind of acknowledging each other or respecting kind of what things have accomplished you see this a lot later with kind of like feminists of like our age or our kind of type of feminism looking back at like second wave feminists which is mm -hmm. you know more of the second half of the 20th century um but yeah, it's a, it's a very linear kind of ordered way of thinking about organizing and thought, which again, just ties into how this whole project in part is kind of like a very Eurocentric look at feminism. For sure, yeah. Um, yeah, there's definitely like a bit of a hierarchy as far as like the canon of feminist mm -hmm, thought and history. Mm -hmm. And it is, I guess, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say is like the hierarchy is very like it prioritizes the like white Western thought and history and movements. So that's why like as women's studies graduates, mm -hmm. I think like I definitely know way more about this than I do about, you know, yeah, kinds of feminism that weren't taught to me. Definitely, um, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, liberal feminism 
utilizes these liberal principles such as equality and freedom to fight for the rights of women and like heavily relies on political and legal and social reform to gain equality for women so it really is about like using the system and the power in place uh to advocate for women and equality between the the sexes is of the utmost importance so yeah as i mentioned suffrage is typically seen as the starting point of the liberal feminist movement Um, suffrage movement aimed to promote white upper-class women to the status of full citizens as during this time period when this movement was taking place women weren't considered full citizens they were either governed by their fathers or by by their husbands and they couldn't own property or vote or have legal autonomy so yeah everyone was Britney Spears (laughs) Um, maybe we should do a Britney episode later well, there's a whole podcast dedicated to her. I would love to do a podcast about that podcast. Yeah, I, I would love to do a podcast on like the infotainment of Britney Spears' lives. Like since that one documentary that was released, the first one, now like every major like TV, online TV network is like releasing a, a documentary. And it's just like, stop, like just help her. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we all know what's going on. <laughs> It's really just capitalizing off this off this thing that yeah, uh, further profiting off of this person's pain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. Anyway, it's a bit of a side note. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I guess I'm going to talk a little bit about one very famous historical figure in the liberal feminist movement, and that is mm-hmm. Mary Wollstonecraft. Um, so of course, she was an upper middle class white British mo- woman, and she was born in 1759. And fun fact, she is the mother of Mary Shelley, who was the author of Frankenstein. Oh, I didn't realize that. She named her daughter after herself. That's right. And then she actually ended up dying 11 days after giving birth to her daughter at the age of 38. Um, yeah, she it's what they called like bed fever or something, but it used to like kill women after birth a lot. Um one of Mary's most famous works is called Vindication of the Rights of Women, uh, which was written in 1792. And this work primarily focused on the need for women to be educated. So I'm going to read you a quote from the book and you can tell me what you think. Okay. So quote, that I have had in view throughout, namely that to improve both sexes, they ought to be educated together, not only in private families, but also in public schools. If boys and girls were permitted to pursue the same studies together, they, the boys, might early learn the graceful decencies that produce modesty, lessons of politeness and decorum. So what does that say to you? Oh boy, where to start? Um, (laughs) I think at the beginning, she's coming out strong, I agree, you know, I think people of all genders should be educated together. Um, I do think there's something to be said about, you know, a public school system as opposed to just being taught by your parents who will just teach you what they want to teach. Then she kind of goes off the rails, um, (laughs) kind of trying to sell women's education as this will be beneficial for boys too, because they will be more like women, i.e. more polite and graceful and modest. Yeah. She's also not saying anything about how this would affect how the female students would be, like what characteristics by her logic um, 
you'd think that'd also be part of her argument or maybe yeah. not because she doesn't want to highlight educated women gaining <laughs> um, graceful decencies that are more quote-unquote masculine yeah for sure yeah so I, I find this quote really interesting because like her central argument was that women should be educated because they're inherently good and moral mm. and, and like better than boys in this way so having girls and boys share a classroom classroom would positively affect boys because girls are morally superior we're empathetic nurturing and caring and this will like wear off on boys so <laughs> through osmosis yeah exactly um so yeah it's like she yeah she does start off strong and like I I think it's important too that like you know when we're reading texts from like 1792 we can expect these people to be like extremely you know woke <laughs> yeah like totally pages us but it's just yeah it's a funny thing that crops up a lot and like liberal feminism is like still this reliance on biological determinism and essentialism um okay so what is biological determinism it's um the belief that our genetics or our biology are responsible for our behaviors talents failures etc so a really simple example would be like boys are better than girls at guitar because they're naturally more musically inclined so that's mm -hmm. a biological deterministic argument and the common counter to that is would be to bring socialization into the equation so determining that perhaps boys are better at guitar because they're more often enrolled in lessons from a young age or have role mm -hmm. models or are encouraged, etc. And then essentialism is very similar, basically, yeah, just the idea that there are fixed characteristics to each gender, i.e. women are more caring and men are more violent. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so this, this sort of idea crops up a lot in liberal feminism and is what a lot of arguments are based upon. So here's another quote. I'm going to read it to you and let me know what you think. So an enlightened nation run an experiment to discover how far reason would bring women back to nature and their duty. Let them share the advantages of education and government with men and see whether they become better as they grow wiser and become free. They can't be injured by the experiment because it's not in the power of men to make them more insignificant than they are at present. What do you think? Hmm. So moving past the enlightened nation part, because I feel like, you know, there's a lot to unpack there specifically, mm -hmm. uh, like who determines what an enlightened nation is. Yeah. Um, I do think, I do think the last part is, is interesting looking at, it kind of brings her argument back to a more like individual level where she's mm -hmm. saying like, um, they like girls women can't be injured by this experiment because it's not in the power of them you know to make be made more insignificant kind of I think brings it back from like hypothetical of it's an experiment to being like these are real people these are yeah. real women and girls whose condition at this time was you know pretty shitty mm -hmm. and only good can come from doing this because I mean, how could it get worse? Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's definitely like a really, um, it's a pretty sad sentiment. Um, I just, yeah, I keep, I get stuck a little bit on the bring women back to nature and their duty. Cause one mm. of, one of her big arguments too, was that, um, women's access to education would make them better wives. <laughs> 
because they'd be better able to like reason and like engage in discussion with their husbands because right now they're sort of like you know their opinion is rendered immaterial because they're not educated they can't keep up they can't you know talk about politics or like geography or anything you know like they're they're just these like housewives that knit and clean and and she's arguing that you know yeah they would they would be better wives to their husband if they could like adequately reason and be reasonable individuals um mm. yeah. does that tie in maybe to like if the wives are better they will keep their husbands like more engaged at home and then the husbands won't go out and do what we deem like immoral behavior and exactly. further ruin the project of heteropatriarchy yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is totally this like it like ties back to the previous point which is that uh like her her you know belief that like women are are inherently better and moral so if we could only you know be um I guess engage with men with their husbands on an intellectual level that they could you know improve their roles as wives and improve improve their husbands lives and improve their marriages yeah it's 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 interesting to regard the way that like early feminist philosophies relied so heavily on like still kind of sexist narratives, like be a better wife, go get educated. (laughs) It wasn't like, it's still, even though it was, you know, women were trying to make themselves like uh, autonomous legal beings through like the right to vote or the right to be educated. It was still like, there was a greater purpose than just their individual self. It was like, Mm -hmm. so you can be a better mother, so you can have a positive effect on the boys. It was never really only about them, you know? Yeah. And I I see this kind of paradox in liberal feminism where trying to fight for, you know, white women to have the right to vote, an argument against that is like, well, you're not educated. You couldn't make informed decisions of who you're voting for. And then they're like, great, can we go to school? And they're like, no, 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 not that. No, 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 no. Um, And so kind of both, I think, you know, it's significant that those are kind of like the two cornerstones of liberal feminism, especially in this era is because they really tie in together where we think about like someone who is a citizen as being someone who is educated, Mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, a kind of problematic notion in some ways, but I can see the gears working in her head as she's trying to put this argument down. Also, yeah, it leaves out a ton of people that like, because even, you know, when suffrage happened, it was still only white middle-class women that were able to vote for a long time. I think Indigenous women in Canada couldn't vote until like the 1960s. Um, Mm. So, yeah, it was definitely not happen for everyone. (laughs) I know in the states, um, one of the ways that suff- like white suffragettes justified why they should be able to vote was tied to, so then you have a greater population of white voters mm. who can kind of outvote, for lack of a better term, um, you know, the people of color, specifically the black people in America. Right. It's never just been give us give us the right to vote Um, no there's definitely intention there and it's often based in a white supremacist agenda which we'll talk about a lot I guess we didn't tell people what the structure of this show is going to be but the reason (gasps) I'm talking so much is because Eva and I are going to trade off topics so Mm -hmm. 
this episode on liberal feminism, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm explaining to Eva as if she doesn't, you know, maybe know much about the subject. And then in turn, Eva's going to um, do her own episodes where she's going to do the same and, and explain a subject to me. Um, and, and also I did skip a lot of the liberal feminist stuff in my first year of women's studies. Okay. Um, so you're actually teaching me stuff I never learned. Good. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I think we're definitely going to get into, get into a lot more niche topics. Um, mm-hmm. but I think it is, it's important to like, I guess, just set the backdrop for which like a lot of this thought is like based on in like, I guess the Western academic feminist canon, um, just you know so we can like talk about these concepts in future episodes and you know refer back and be like oh yeah I know what that is um yes this is week one on the syllabus (laughs) yeah introduction um so I brought that up because you are going to do a whole episode on neoliberal feminism yes the girl girl boss apocalypse girl boss girl boss girl boss you know what I'm trying to say (laughs) yes I do um and so yeah neoliberal feminism uh neo from greek meaning new uh relies heavily on the same principles seen in original liberal feminism I won't get too much into it but basically there is still an idea that the simple inclusion of women in organizations and spaces and institutions or whatever has the ability to better the space just like, you know, Mary Wollstonecraft was saying mm-hmm. with the inclusion of girls in schools, because, you know, there's a, still this belief that women are somehow these superior moral beings. Mm. So I'm going to give you an, uh, an example. Um, the election of Kamala Harris as vice president of the United States. Uh, a large portion of the feminist population saw this as like a groundbreaking feminist event that had the potential to, you know, undo politics as we know it because Kamala is a woman Mm -hmm. and the first woman to ever occupy that position. And thus the act of her governance would be vastly different because Mm -hmm. she's a woman. So like feminist organizations and high profile feminists just like lost their shit over this. And it was this huge victory simply based on the merit of her being a woman. And I don't mean to like, downplay that as insignificant because yeah she is like the first woman and the first woman of color to occupy that position and that is significant so I don't I don't want to you know downplay that but if you do look at Kamala Harris's history as uh, the district attorney in San Francisco she had like Mm -hmm. a really oppressive and violent career and she had this like tough on crime attitude and denied trans women hormones and locked up a lot of people for petty crimes and to me that directly contradicts like a feminist ethic but to mainstream liberal feminists it was a huge success Mm -hmm. so I guess yeah that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with like what feminism means to me like I think things like prison abolition are like inherently at least should be in in you know in my feminism they are um like completely intertwined yeah Um, whereas like I I feel like there's like this liberal feminist notion of like yeah, relying really heavily on like the justice system as flawed as it is and like believing that you know like some people deserve to be in jail for like petty mm-hmm. drug crimes you know and and not caring about necessarily people and families and everyone who gets kind of swept up because you can look at and make arguments if you're going from just a like women feminism is about women like the women 
who are severely impacted by mm. directly by what Kamala Harris did. Um, and it's, yeah, that wasn't very feminist of her. No, I don't think it was <laughs> at all, but apparently she's like our feminist icon and I, I just disagree. <laughs> I, yeah. And, and what she's been doing, um, as her time as vice president has been unsurprising, mm-hmm. but disappointing. Yeah. Recently, she, you know, went to Central America to talk about ways to stop the quote unquote big air quotes migration crisis mm. to the states and gave a speech where she basically said, like, don't come here. Oh, that's what um, that meme is from when she keeps saying, okay. Yeah, which is also a very liberal feminist thing to do because it, it ignores, you know, systems that and why people would choose to, you know, come to America. And as if they were just waiting for someone to say, don't come here. Okay, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no problem. Um, yeah. yeah. And it just shows her continuation on this kind of like law and order. Oh, for that sure. She yeah. Had as a prosecutor. Yeah. I feel like the liberal feminist argument would be like, well, you have to go through the proper channels of immigration. You have to fill out exactly. the paperwork, you know, and then maybe, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, that's just not an option for a lot no. of people. No. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure we'll, if we ever get famous, we'll get in shit for critiquing Kamala Harris. <laughs> okay. So this is kind of, I guess we're coming to a bit of a conclusion here, but mm-hmm. um, liberal feminists still rely heavily on the rhetoric of equality. So mm. what men can do, women can do too. And it's important for women to do what men to do to smash stereotypes, even if it means participating in really oppressive systems. Yeah. So take institutions like the military who are trying to put a feminist spin on service. So I put a link to a video about mm. a girl named Emma. Have you, did you watch it? No, I haven't yet. I think it's only a couple of minutes though, if you want to watch it now and then we can talk. About I'm going to watch it right now if I can. This is the story of a soldier who operates your nation's Patriot Missile Defense Systems. It begins in California with a little girl raised by two moms. Although I had a fairly typical childhood, took ballet, played violin, I also marched for equality. I like to think I've been defending freedom from an early age. When I was six years old, one of my moms had an accident that left her paralyzed. Doctors said she might never walk again, but she tapped into my family's pride to get back on her feet, eventually standing at the altar to marry my other mom. With such powerful role models, I finished high school at the top of my class and then attended UC Davis, where I joined a sorority full of other strong women. But as graduation approached, I began feeling like I'd been handed so much in life, a sorority girl stereotype. Sure, I'd spent my life around inspiring women, but what had I really achieved on my own? One of my sorority sisters was studying abroad in Italy. Another was climbing Mount Everest. I needed my own adventures, my own challenge. And after meeting with an army recruiter, I found it. A way to prove my inner strength and maybe shatter some stereotypes along the way. 
I'm U.S. Army Corporal Emma Malone Lord, and I answered my calling. I have seen a lot of ads like that. Okay. Um, like when I was a kid on local TV, there was ones to join the Vermont National Guard that always had like men and women airlifting themselves down to rescue puppies from floods. Right. Um, very part I, of this kind of myth making. Yeah, I joined the National Guard if it was just about rescuing puppies. But... Right. I mean, and yeah, and then there's a whole other conversation of like why people end up, you know, enlisting and oh, for sure, the yeah. kind of financial incentives that can help someone quote unquote answer the calling mm -hmm. that the army is asking you to find yeah for sure yeah so I feel like that video just really expresses like a liberal feminist ideal mm -hmm. so it's it's making the military seem like like this feminist institution simply be, through the inclusion of women in it it's like women do war crimes better <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, like, yeah, the military is woke because, and like a feminist institution because women can now be part of our team and, oh, you have lesbian mothers, no problem. We'll still accept you, you know? Like, yeah. And I think it's, yeah, it is frustrating, frustrating because like outright, you know, imperialist killing machines like the military can co-opt the language of feminism by simply including women in their institution and mm -hmm. I guess this is like a a popular mainstream feminist idea is that oh that institution includes women and thus is feminist having women does not um a feminist organization make no because women can be you know extremely violent and racist and all kinds of nasty things and but not according to mary wilsoncraft no so. no we're good moral <laughs> beings i guess this is my last point and we will mm -hmm. include a reading list um so you can read about some of this stuff but to me i think feminism is really about uh what bell hooks has called undoing paradigms of domination so mm. this refers to not only like sexist domination but racial colonial imperialist class domination etc it's mm -hmm. not about making more women war criminals. It's about undoing all of these dominating forces and about paying attention to who is suffering and who is oppressed and who has the power and why and working to undo that system and those structures. Um, so in conclusion, I am not a liberal feminist, <laughs> but it is something we have, to, <laughs> we have to <laughs> learn about a lot in school. <laughs> and a lot of people who don't interact with kind of loud people who are loud feminists or feminist spaces. I, I know most of my relatives just assume I must be a liberal feminist. And so I'll get, you know, oh, isn't it great? We have like a woman who's the head of the CIA or whatever. Yeah. Um, exactly. Like I, as a feminist and a woman, <laughs> be happy that women can you do must work. love that. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but yeah, just like the amount of like women, like famous sort of, I don't know, maybe just left of center feminist women on Twitter that were like celebrating Kamala Harris's like victory and being like, I'm mm -hmm. crying. Like, I can't believe a woman is in this position without like engaging critically at all with her past and her policy is um, 
is yeah it's 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 very telling i think of like the mainstream feminist landscape and what we consider like a feminist act Um, also she's vice president they do not do much there's a whole series with julia louis dreyfus about how the vice president does very little so in terms of kind of victories for women it's a little bit of a second place situation for sure okay uh let's say a little outro thank you for joining us for gender troubles episode one we'll be back soon see you next week